Thank you for listening to the podcast of Dublin Bible Church. Here's what I want us to do. we, We very seldom ever do this, but here's what I want you to do. I want you to look at the person next to you. I want you to look at the person next to you. I want you to look the person the other way, and I want you to look the person behind you, next to you, and I want you to say hi to them. And I want you to tell them, say, thank you for being here today. All right, all right, they don't need your family story. Come on, let's reel this thing in. Today we're talking about my favorite subject, the church. And we're talking about how the church is supposed to work, how how the church is not a group of individuals, that the church has always been about a movement of God. The church is not like an organization where we come together and we just have a bunch of strategy and and loose things and we just we want to start gobbling up people, but the church has always been about a movement, and the church has been organic. It has been alive ever since the the early church, and then from that day until this day. And and we know because it tells us in, in the Gospel of Matthew that that the gates of hell will not prevail against this church. That is the church that has been founded upon the cross and upon the salvation work of Jesus Christ. And everybody can say a hearty amen to that. So. Today we are talking about this, and you know what? What is amazing, when you were like looking at each other, you didn't see anybody who looks just like you. Did you? You didn't see anybody who looks just like you. Everybody's different. As a matter of fact, we're all different, but we all have a part to play. And we're all different. We have different gifts. We have different skills. We have different passions. We have different desires. In this room, we have some feelers like you feel first before you think, and that's not necessarily a bad thing. And then some other people, you're thinkers, like you think, 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 and yet you like remove from your feelings. And that not, not, is not necessarily a bad thing, but you've got to have some balance, of course. We've got people in here who are just, they're just servants, and they just press in, and like anywhere there's a place to be involved, they're like, I want to do it. No, 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 we're digging ditches. I want to do it. I'll bring a shovel. I'm going to buy one today. You know, like they, they want to do that. There are people who just say, wow, okay, what does God need as far as what does his church need? And there are people even in this room who would hear this message who, who would just say, you know what, they will give. Just givers. They'll just either give a one-time thing or a continual thing. We have givers right here in this flock. What is amazing about the New Testament, when it comes through and it defines what a church is, it defines the church as being communal. How everyone is together. It uses the words of a flock, and it uses the words in this, in this text that we're going to jump into today from Romans 12 as a body. And really, I'll give you a, I'll give you a, a little story, and, and I'll tell you what the bottom line is for today. Every church that I've either served in or that I've been a part of leadership in has always had somebody who is kind of like an appendix, right? And, and what does an appendix do? Nobody knows. But yet, it's like nobody knows what an appendix does. Oftentimes, it's like you, you have an appendix, so you don't know what they do. They don't really make them themselves known. But some people are like an appendix. They don't necessarily know where the, they don't know what to do. We don't even know what they do. But all of a sudden, whenever they pop, they kill you. Right? Think about that. Just like an appendix. You ever had an appendix burst or anyone? It becomes a big deal right now. 
I've had that happen. And yet, I just want to just let you know, we don't want to be an appendix, right? We don't want to be that. And, and my goal in this text is for you not to be an appendix to where you won't necessarily what your place of service is, and you won't necessarily be involved in anything else. You don't even know why you exist. And then it would lead you to pop. Now, my pastor always used to say it this way. He said, if a Christian isn't serving, they will either sit, soak, and what's the last one? Sour. And, and, and yet, that's kind of like the appendix. It's like, you know, like, okay, apparently it has a place in the body, but you don't know what the place is, and it doesn't actually function in a certain way, but when it pops, it corrupts everything else. And my goal for this is for you not to be an appendix, for you to know your place, but not to just pop, for you to be involved and operate as a body. Because I have to tell you, as somebody who, who leads this flock, I need each and every person in here to do what it is that God has equipped them to do. I need them to be fully invested in, in service and in giving and, and heart and mind and passion. And every person in here has value. And yet, if we don't, if we don't press into the Lord, we will result back into being some, we'll just be kind of a silent party in the body. And you'll sit, soak, and sour. And when you sour, you corrupt everybody else and everything else. We don't want that. That's not a healthy body. That's when a body becomes toxic. That's when a body becomes dangerous. But that's not the body that Jesus intended us to be. So in our text this morning, in Romans 12, I will tell you this about Romans. Uh, this is a very theological book, and oftentimes people just like kind of stay away from this book because it's like really heavy theology. And yet, in Romans 12, it takes the very theological aspect, and it becomes very, very applicable. So that's where we're going to press in. Now, our, our main text is starting in verse 3, but we're going to read in the flow starting in verse 1. Romans 12, verse 1. Therefore, I urge you, brothers, in the view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. That happens... That begins to happen when you're born again. We've talked about this over this series. And it says, Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, His good, pleasing, and perfect will. Verse 3, For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the measure of faith God has given you. That's humility. Just as in each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we who are many form one body. That's unity. And each member belongs to the others. We have different gifts according to the grace given us. If a man's gift is prophesying, let him use it in proportion to his faith. If it is serving, let him serve. If it's teaching, let him teach. If it's encouraging, let him encourage. If it is contributing to the needs of others, let him give generously. If it's leadership, let him govern diligently. If it's showing mercy, let him do it cheerfully. And that's ministry. That's ministry. So the, the three main ideas that we're going to press into today, in the beginning of our text is the idea of, of humility, then it's going to be unity, and then it is going to be, um, it, we're going to basically finish up with ministry. Now, I have to tell you, the first part of this message is going to make you very, very uncomfortable. Because you can't talk about humility without you getting uncomfortable. 
Because humility is an action, not an ideal. Humility is an action, not an ideal. It's something you just have to do. That's what he refers to here in this text. It says, For the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought. In other words, humble yourself. But rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance to the measure of faith that God has given you. Being humble is an action, not an ideal. You're not going to fall into humility, and you're not going to fall into holiness. You're not going to. It isn't like it's just like some, you know, some hole that you fall into, and it's like, wow, oh, now all of a sudden I'm humble. This is amazing. No, you can be forced into humility. You can absolutely be forced into humility. You lose a job. Oftentimes, if in those times, you become very vulnerable, and, and you're forced to humility. But humility is an action, not an ideal. It's not some theological gem that, wow, I've studied the scriptures and I've read it cover to cover and now all of a sudden I've become humble. No, that's not the way it works. Humility is something we have to force upon ourselves. But here's a problem. We live in America. Land of the free, home of the brave. Yeah, that's where we live. We live in a land of prosperity. We live in a land where we tell our parents, well, honey... If you want to do it, just go do it. Go chase your dreams. After all, it's your dreams. And we have what what we have in our culture, really the thing that presses against us being humble is individuality. And we even teach our kids this. You say, you go live out your dream, and it's it's your your future and your purpose, and you go do what you want to do, and you, you go to the school that you want to go do, and you go chase your dreams and go find your dream job. And we, what we do as parents when we tell our kids that is saying, hey, go, go, you know, go, be, go be a little God, small g. You're in charge. You're in charge. Go chase your dreams. And we've never invited God into that process. We've just said, hey, go do whatever it is that you want to do. But guess what? When that plan fails, who do they come talk to? They go, first they go talk to you as parents. And then you scratch your head and say, man, I don't understand. I don't understand how we got to this point. And then they come talk to me. And then they come talk to me and I say, well, the reason why they got to this point is because you put a very individualistic, a very, a very selfish desire in their heart when a time you should have been pressing into them, what is God's dream for your life? Instead, you said, what's your dream for your life? And when that dream fails, they don't know what to do because their foundation hasn't been on Christ. Their foundation has been on Self and being an individual. We see this, the, the idea, and the biggest thing I think in our, in our culture specifically that just pushes against the idea of us being humble is everybody else and even people in the sports realm of not being humble. We, we get it from all areas of our culture. The sports realm, like, yeah, I'm not saying it was perfect, but like 30 years ago, 20 years ago, we had somebody who would like be a part of a team, but they would stick it out and they would want to retire with that team. Does that happen anymore? Not very often. Now they, they live under a different code. Now the, the code is, well, I'm going to get mine. I've got to get paid. Now we have college players who say, you know what? A four-year degree at a Division I school, maybe even a master's degree at a Division I school, that's not enough. Now I want to be paid on top of getting uh, all of my tuition and fees free, on top of my diploma, and on top of all the other accolades that come with it. Now I want just a little bit more because it's all about, finish it, me. So the idea of being an individual, it's in every facet of our life. Uh, Randy Frazee, he wrote an amazing book called The Connecting Church. 
He says it, it even exists out, even in our culture, in our workplace. And I'll just say some phrases that will be very familiar with you. And this, I think, will, will allow you to see that this is, this is the, the individualities become an enemy of the church, and it's become an enemy of humility. This is what he said, that in our culture we choose lawsuits over reconciliation. Now we don't, go, we don't, even, we don't go talk to our neighbor anymore when they've offended us. We just go talk to a lawyer. Because at the end of the day, it's all about, finish it, me. It's all about me. It's not about you. And now we choose a lawsuit over reconciliation. Instead, now we're in our workplace and we have some sort of grievance, whether it's, it's valid or invalid. We have some sort of grievance. We don't actually go talk to the person. For the person we go talk to is the human resources rep. And now we're saying, now we're making a bigger deal where it could have been handled in a different way and we could have had a reconciliation moment, but now we're having, in essence, a lawsuit moment right in our workplace. Individuality is at war with our humility. Also, and this will, I believe, will resonate with some, the idea of individual rights over community responsibility. The individual rights over community responsibility. We have, we are becoming one of the greediest and most entitled cultures. And we have people who, are, who, who basically live their life and they're saying, you know what, it's about my right. I understand I'm not working, but it's about my right and I need to get paid instead of a, a community responsibility and saying, yeah, oh, it's not about me at all. It's a matter of what is this doing to the overall fabric of our culture that I'm living entitled and now I'm expecting everybody else to pay my way. And suddenly, in an instant, in a moment, it's all about me. And not about our community. It's, it's not about our country. It's not about what it's doing economically to other people and in other situations. Because, after all, it's all about me. The idea of career advancement over company loyalty. It, it's so interesting because I, I've kind of, you know, I'm in ministry now. So it seems uh, I've been so far from removed from this for about 10 years or so. But this, this to me is, is so interesting because it's so obvious when I look at other people's life, not necessarily my own situation, but I look at other people, and it's all about, it's all about career advancement. What can I get? What can I get? What can I get? I don't care if I step on you to get it. What can I get? It's not about company loyalty. It's about, about your advancement. And all of these things just wage war on our humility, because every part of the culture is saying, hey, it's all about you, it's all about you. After all, you are all that matters. And shamefully, this has even pressed its way into the church. It's pressed its way into the church in the idea of church shopping. Of, well, you know, I, I, I was going to this church, but they weren't meeting all of our needs. In other words, the church wasn't perfect Good news, bad news. Uh, the good news is the church was never supposed to be perfect. And the bad news is as soon as you entered the walls, it became imperfect. So there's that. You know. You know. And yet people in our culture, they just church shop. They're like, well, I want to do this and I'm going to dabble here and I'm going to dabble there. I'm not going to be committed anywhere. I certainly don't want accountability. I don't, I don't want all these things. I want to gobble up all this truth. That way I don't have to actually do anything with it and I, be, I can become more intellectual. And we can even do this through technology. We do this through technology by, by listening to other messages of other preachers and, and then it makes, you know, and not, not necessarily that's a bad thing, but all of a sudden we use that as a basis for not going to church. Well, I'm not going to go to church. I'm just going to listen to it online. 
Well, I'm not going to go to church. I listen to David Jeremiah. I'm going to listen to him later on today. I don't have to actually go to church. And I ran across a quote from actually a friend of mine this morning. A friend of mine who's been a friend of mine for about 12 or 13 years. He says, you are the part of the body of Christ. And when you're not... When you're not here, when you're not actively serving, actively participating, and actively engaged, the church is an amputee. The church is an amputee. So when you are not doing what you're supposed to, the church is an amputee. Put that image in your mind. Your ministry, you as a person, is is that essential to the mission of the church. This church doesn't exist for the person who stands here, whether it's me or someone else. It exists because of Christ. And just as the basis of what Paul is writing here, he says, for the the grace given me, I say to every one of you, he says, grace is the thing that all Christians share. This is, we're supposed to be the church. It's not about what, what we can get from the church. It's a matter of what we can give to the church. Give our service, give our money, give our life. Become being discipled, but then also making disciples. And yet... Church shopping, but it's not a new problem. C.S. Lewis says this. This will be on the screen. C.S. Lewis, Mac. He says, Surely you know that if a man can't be cured of church going, the next best thing is to send him over the neighborhood looking for the church that suits him until he becomes a taster or connoisseur of churches. Not a new problem. That was written about 50 years ago. C.S. Lewis is dead and gone. Very prophetic though, right? Very prophetic. Saying, hey, here, here's, if, if we just can't, you know, we can't be cured of church going and not, not doing it, sitting, soaking in sour. Here's, here's the next worst thing, not the next best thing, the next worst thing. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to spread that poison to other churches. So now it's not just going to poison one church. Now we're going to become a connoisseur, a taster of churches. So now I'm going to bring a little bit of that poison to church, to church, to church. Church shopping, not being involved in taking and not giving. All of that makes war on your humility. Because at the core of that is me. And if I look at the Bible and and the, the fullness of the Bible, specifically the New Testament, the church is represented as a body. And every part of the body is essential. Every part of the body has value. And every part of the body has purpose. And we're all supposed to be on the same mission. And yet, what happens if we, we church shop, and maybe that's not your story. I mean, you're here, and, and you know, we don't really have, we don't have a whole lot of church shoppers here, to be honest with you. Most people that we have at this church are really kind of poured in. But, but this part may speak into you, not necessarily church shopping, but, but some of you may err on, on the idea of church professionalism. And, and I'll tell it to you by a story. Anybody familiar with Superman? Right? Superman? Yeah. I love all those movies. What was that? All right. Yeah. Power of the people. Whatever that means. And uh, so, so, so Superman, right? Superman, I, I personally think he's the weakest of all superheroes. This is my own personal. It's not Bible. It's my opinion. Okay? <laughs> However, it's just I think he's the weakest of all superheroes. But, you know, here's, here's something that we can learn about this. Superman... Is somebody who, who basically, the, the city of Metropolis, that's where Superman resides, that's where he does his thing. The city of Metropolis, when they're going through a hard time, they just kind of sit back on their hands and they wait for who to come. Superman. 
Like, well, we got a problem. I guess we'll just sit on our hands. Oh, when's Superman going to get here? He'll be here shortly. Oh, there's Superman coming in to fix everything. Oftentimes, even in churches, we do the same thing. We take a metropolis kind of mentality and we just say, we'll just let the professionals do it. He's the preacher after all. Why would I go make a hospital visit with somebody? Why would I get involved in somebody else's life? That's the preacher's job. We'll wait for Superman to come. I have, I have some good news and bad news. Uh, the good news is, um, you may like Superman. That may be good news for you. Bad news is, I'm not Superman. Right? And the metropolis mentality makes war on the church. It makes war on the church. The church cannot be the church if we, we have this metropolis mentality. I'll just sit on my hands and wait for everybody else to do it. I'll just sit on my hands and wait for somebody else to serve my kids and DBC kids. I'll just, I'll just, I'm just waiting. I'm not going to certainly get involved in a rise, but I'm going to sit on my hands and wait for somebody else to love on my students. I'm not going to do it. I can't do it, mainly because I don't want to do it, because in that moment it's all about me. But you'll gladly let somebody else love on your kids. You'll gladly let somebody else serve you. You'll gladly let somebody else bring you donuts. You'll gladly let somebody else visit you in the hospital. But yet, all of those things, if we're not humble, because humility is an action, not an ideal, if we don't humble ourselves and understand the grace that binds us is also the grace that keeps us on the ground level, needing of God's grace, not in the moment, but day to day, moment to moment, and the church is never meant to be about me. It's always meant to be about him. Think about that. We have to erase that mentality. And the second thing from the text is we're, we're to have unity in the gospel, not uniformity in the gospel. We're supposed to have unity in the gospel. That means we're all rallied around the same thing. It's like, come on, we're at the cross. We're at the feet of the cross. Let's get everybody to the cross. I want to tell my neighbor about that, about this Jesus that I love and that I serve, and let's bring him to the cross, and let's, let's go get my neighbor and my coworker and my boss and, and, and my, my extended family members and my kids. I want everybody to come to the cross because it's so good at the cross, because at the feet of the cross I find grace as that's the only place in all of the world and that will ever exist where we will have that because it only comes through Jesus we're supposed to be unified in that message it's unity in the gospel not uniformity in the gospel it means we're all different we all have a part to play and I love this and we can celebrate our differences as long as the thing that binds us is the grace of God we can celebrate our differences because the gospel, the gospel is, is many things, but I will tell you some, uh, some things that the gospel is. The gospel is racially unifying. It may not be representative here in this city, but it is. It was always intended to be. It's not a white thing, a black thing, a, a, a Hispanic thing, a, a Portuguese thing. It's not a matter of that. The, the gospel is bigger than all of that, and it is supposed to be racially unifying. All are welcome at the feet of the cross. And all are welcome within these doors. All. I believe that God's plan is so much bigger than, than, what, we have, than we've, what we've really even experienced. God's plan is so much bigger. He wants us to, to bring other people. And he wants, he wants it just to be so colorful at the feet of the cross. That we would all understand that outside of the grace of God, we have nothing. Nothing. 
So it's racially unifying. It's also supposed to be socially engaging. That means that the gospel is not just about the church. It's a matter of the, the inward flow of God's grace and that would flow out of us to the world around us. It's supposed to be socially engaging. It's never, ever, ever supposed to be about just your Sunday morning experience and you come in and sing three songs or four songs and it's amazing worship and you cry and you listen to a message and it's challenged and you leave. That's part of your experience, but the rest of your experience, because the gospel compels us, is to go out and to engage the world around us. So it's also supposed to be socially engaging and it's also supposed to be ethnically diverse. All ethnicities, all tribes, all nations of all times are to be penetrated by the gospel. And when the church is the church, there's nothing else like it. But if the church goes toxic, if the church exists because of me, that's when it becomes toxic and it becomes ineffective. So... We have to remain to be humble because being humble is an action, but then also it takes unity in the gospel, not uniformity. Understanding there are differences. We can celebrate our differences. We're not trying to make widgets, okay? A disciple doesn't mean that we're just trying to punch out widgets and everyone's going to look the same and everybody's going to be the same and everybody's going to... That's not the way it works. You've had different experiences. You, you think differently. You, you feel differently. You, you, you serve differently. You give differently. But all of those are welcome with the gospel. We're not trying to punch out disciples. are not like trying to, uh, us trying to punch out widgets where everything looks the same. And as long as you pass quality assurance, then you're good. But if not, we've got to put you back in the mix and try it again. That isn't how it works. It's not how it works. And oftentimes what the church makes a mess of things. I don't know if you realize this, but the church is imperfect. And the church uh, makes a mess of things. And in the church... And, and this is not just a denomination thing. Any church can err in this way. The church oftentimes, it's kind of like, we just want to count our marbles. The marbles represent people. And they're like, oh, count our marbles. Woo, we got one more. Celebrate. Woo, just as I am. That was a powerful Sunday. Got three more. Woo, celebrate, celebrate, celebrate. But then all of a sudden is once we get them all in there, we want to count them. We want to put the lid on them. We want to look at them. Woo, man, aren't we doing something? Aren't we doing something? Woo, look at us. We're colorful, colorful individual marbles. But this doesn't move. This is a hemmed-in group. This isn't a body. See, I think the body of Christ is more represented with this. Yes, this is off my bike. No, it doesn't work anymore. It's more like this. You see, this was built to go. This was built to move. This is built to, to, to go forward. That's what this is built for. But yet I learned something uh, about a year ago, maybe six months ago. I was on my bike, and I was on a relatively long bike ride for me. And all of a sudden, my, my bike wheel, as I'm out away from the house, my bike wheel starts doing one of these numbers. I don't know if you realize it, but when you're going about 20 miles an hour doing that on a bike, it becomes kind of scary really, really fast. And, and I, I'm not a, a bike expert by any uh, stretch of the imagination. But then I started realizing, and started going through and, and checking stuff out, and I was like, oh, wait a minute. I've got a broke spoke. Hmm. So I, I tried to, to you know, fix it myself, but that didn't work. I tried to ride it without the spoke, and then I found out that it actually just made other spokes weak, too. You see, with, 
with this rim, much like the church, each one of these spokes plays a part. And if any of these spokes are not working, it affects another one. Or it affects all of them because all of a sudden, because of the way that this is designed, it's supposed to take the load of the whole wheel. And now if, if one thing is broken, now it affects another thing. And now the purpose of the wheel is diminished. It declines. Honestly, it doesn't have purpose. I can't use this anymore. And you have such an instrumental part to play in the body of Christ. You are, are just like one of the spokes on this wheel. That, you, that, that we, we each work together and we kind of share the load together and we serve together and we're united in purpose and we're united in meaning and, and the grace of God brings us all together in the, the gospel. It's not just something that we absorb. It compels us to go out and love on other people. But yet, just like this wheel, it is meant to go. It's meant to move. It's meant to do work. And the gospel compels us. And and the unity of of the body of Christ compels us to do work as well. To go and to do and to serve and to lead and to love and to share. It's so much bigger than what we make it. So much bigger. Francis Schaeffer said this, Our relationship with each other is the criterion the world uses to judge whether our message is truthful. Man, I read this and I was like, whoa. There's like certain quotes that I, I don't just like put quotes on the screen just to say, wow, that's a really good quote. I, 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 I put quotes on the screen to help illustrate the point and to say, and, but when I read this one, I was, I mean, I stopped. I was like, is that true? It's the first thing I said. I was like, is it true? And I do believe it's true. That our relationship with each other with each other is the criterion that the world uses to judge whether judge whether our message is truthful. Wow. So how well we love each other is looked upon by the outside world. How well we serve is looked upon by the outside world world what we give our hearts to is what the world looks at us to say wow is their message truthful we have a part to play ephesians 4 it's to the right in your bible just a little bit i welcome you to go there we're going to kind of camp here for a second ephesians 4 verse 11 presses into this as well Ephesians 4:11 It was he who gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, and some to be pastors and teachers to prepare God's people for works of what's the next word? service. It's it's not to prepare uh, God's people for works of sitting. It's not. Look again if you don't believe me. It's not. It's service. Doing something. So that the body of Christ 
There, there's the illustration again. The body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith, there's the word, and in the knowledge of the Son of God and, and become mature, attending to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown, blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of men in their deceitful scheming. That the church, the beautiful church, God put leaders in your life. He put some to be apostles and, and prophets and evangelists and pastors and teachers to do a simple yet very profound thing to prepare you for works of service. That means it is not my primary responsibility or or, or the ministry team's primary responsibility, or the leadership's team's primary responsibility to do all of the work in the church. That's what that means, just in case you missed it. That means my responsibility is getting you to do what you're supposed to do. That's my responsibility. I'm not, it, doesn't, it, it doesn't remove me from responsibility. It just makes my responsibility very strategic, and it makes all of us Get together, but you know what's amazing about this to me is this actually, if in this text, it means that we're going to operate like a body. It means we're going to be together. It means that we have to have humility, and, and, and humility is an action, not an ideal. And it also means that we'll have to have unity in the gospel, celebrating our differences. And to me, that's that's amazing. That's hopeful. That's encouraging. And then if we continue this, in verse 15 it says, Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will in all things grow up into him who is the head, the head, the head of the body, that is Christ. From him the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each does its part. What's your part? What are you supposed to do? What is it that God has been speaking to you about of saying, hey, this is something that, that your heart breaks in a certain area. What is that thing? Because that could be the thing that God wants you to be involved in. Maybe that's the part of this body that's broken right now that, that you need because the church maybe in this situation is operating like an amputee and you're the person who's supposed to be the hands or feet or the elbow or the mouth or whatever part you're supposed to play, but you're supposed to step up and fill this place to complete the body. What is it for you? What is it that your, your heart leans toward? What is it that breaks your heart? I've said this before, but maybe the very thing that you're broken, that, that has been broken in your life, that God has redeemed you of, maybe that's the thing you're supposed to add to this body. So the redemption that Christ provides now will become something that will thrust you out to love and bring redemption to others. The last kind of takeaway this morning is, and taken back, uh, you can go back to Romans 12, verse 6, the idea of ministry, that, that you're not called to do everything, but you're called to do something. You're not called to do everything, that should be a breath of fresh air, but you're called to do something. There's, there is something that's missing in the body when you're not serving. When you're not giving, when you're not loving, when you're not encouraging, when you're not visiting, when you're not sharing, when you're not equipping, 
There's something in the body that's missing when you're not doing what it is that God has called you to do. And you're not called to do everything, but you are called to do something. You're called to do something. Verse 6 says this, We have different gifts according to the grace given us. There's that word again. If a man's gift is prophesying, let him use it in proportion to his faith. Now the idea of prophesying here means more like teaching teaching doctrine. So for some of you, uh, that may be your thing. Maybe it's not your thing. But one of these is your thing. Saying somebody who's, who's prophesying, somebody who also may prophesy is not just somebody who can predict the future, but also who can tell you uh, maybe in that situation is not somebody who can necessarily predict the future and, you know, do the whole Nostradamus thing. That, that would be kind of crazy. But, you know, not to do that, but maybe who could be somebody who could predict your future. What I mean by that is this. By looking at the current trajectory of your life, this is where you're going to end up. If you continue to do what it is you're doing, this is where you're going to be. That would be somebody prophesying into your life. That would be somebody saying, hey, I see what you're doing, and I see why you're doing it. But if you continue on that path, it's going to take you to this place. And then that, that person, if they're, they're using that gift well, then they would speak into that individual to say, is this really where you think that you want to be? Is this where you want to be? That would be somebody who would be prophesying. But he says, let them do it in proportion to his faith. And, and maybe your translation says, in agreement with the faith. Um, not going against the faith. And I think that's important because there's a lot of, of false prophecy. There's a lot of people who even make, who are on the, the airwaves on television with all kinds of false prophecy. And, and if we're doing what it says in Ephesians 4, that we're growing and maturing and, and we're doing what we're supposed to as a church and growing in knowledge, of, in, in knowledge but then also in love, we'll understand, okay, uh, this is errant theology, this is bad, this prophet hears, woo, you know, cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs, probably shouldn't listen to them anymore, let's do this. I like Cocoa Puffs. Anyway, so here we go. We're going to continue on. It says in verse 7, if it's serving, let him serve. If it's serving, let him serve. Seems pretty simple. If it's teaching, let him teach. Now this word teaching, it means more daily practical living. Not necessarily the preacher, teacher type, but this is just somebody who comes next to another brother or sister in Christ and just kind of maybe it supports them and just kind of shares scripture with them and maybe just they maybe they do a Bible study together and they just kind of share openly and that would be the idea of teaching. And I have to be honest with you, every single person in here can do that. Whatever level that God has given you is something that is available to be given to someone else. Whatever it is that God has given you can be given to someone else. You don't have to have a degree. You don't even have to have experience. You just have you have to have just growth from Jesus. And and as Jesus grows you, then you can use that to help grow someone else. It doesn't have to be that complicated. If it's encouraging, let him encourage. If it's contributing to the needs of others, let him give generously. Now, two different things. It seems like the idea of serving and contributing to the needs of others, they, they kind of seem like the same thing, but they're not. The idea of serving means like a long-term, continuing work. Like it's just it's like you're just doing it. Like I'm serving. I just want to come and serve. We have amazing servants in this church. People have served Jesus in this church for years and years and years. Some of you for months and months and months. And that's the idea of service. And then it says contributing to the needs of others. That's more of like a one-time gift. 
That's maybe, that's maybe when, when a missionary comes to town and, and they've kind of come and they do a presentation where you maybe don't feel compelled to give month by month by month, but you feel compelled to give something. Or maybe that you, you, you hear of somebody within the body who's suffering, maybe suffering some financial woes, and you come next to them and say, hey, I've got a little bit of extra. I want to contribute to the needs of you. And that may be like a, a one-time gift. That's what that's referring to. And it says, if it is leadership, let him govern diligently. And that literally means one who stands before others. Not everybody has the gift of leadership. But I believe there are people in this room who have the gift of leadership that are not using it. I believe that there are some to be leaders. And I believe they just need to step out from the crowd and just trust Jesus and and take that next level of accountability. And if it's showing mercy, let him do it cheerfully. If it's mercy, seeing somebody that's hurting and you just come next to them. Maybe you don't even have words to say, but I was reminded of this on Facebook. And, and you see somebody who's going through such a hard time. And often, oftentimes there's not even words to say. And the most merciful thing for you to do is just to be there. It's to just sit silently praying. But I have to tell you, when, when the church is the church, there's nothing else like it. When the church is humble, that it doesn't exist as a group of individuals, and humility is an action, and when we're, we're united, we have unity in the gospel, and when we all understand that we're not called to do everything, but we're called to do something, when all of those things happen, it becomes amazing. Several years ago, I went through a job loss, and it was it was one of those things, uh, as at the time I was the, the primary financial caregiver for the family, so when I underwent that, or we underwent that job loss, it was just, it shook the foundation of everything. But we saw the church be the church. Right on down the line, God brought a prophet, and his name was Michael Branch. And he came up to me and he said, you seem broken right now, but you, but, but you don't understand that you may be broken, but God has actually broken your past because he's building a future with it. But I didn't see that, but I needed a prophet. We needed a prophet. If it's serving, let him serve. We had our group of our small group come around us and just love us and serve us and provide meals for us and just do things. I even had people outside of their church come in next to us and just kind of serve us and wrap their arms around us and love us. And like we didn't deserve any of that, but it was the church being the church, being the body that God intended, and there's nothing else like it. And the people came to serve and and the, the teaching, and then a guy by the name of Richard came up next to me, and he says, hey, here's what you need to do. You don't need to be so worrying about the forecast of your life. You need to worry about what the next step is, and this is the next step in obedience because the, 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 the best step in obedience is the next step in obedience. And he says, here's just one step in front of the other. So he just needed that little bit of teaching, that little bit of encouragement. Just think, keep doing the things you're doing. Keep walking through it. I know there's a haze right now, but just, but just trust that when Jesus gives you a, a footprint to step in, you step in his footprint, and he'll bring you through it. He sent Richard. If it's encouraging, let him encourage. We had the whole church do this. At the time, I was a deacon, and God just sent people 
just sent the deacons, and deacon means servant, and he just sent deacons around us to say, hey, hey, we love you, we care for you, we're praying for you, God's got a future for you, just encouraging us, lifting us up, wouldn't allow us to stay down. I was out of work for six months, so it was kind of an ongoing thing, contributing to the needs of others. We had money coming in from just all kinds of weird places. God just providing and and using his body, the church, to come in and love us. They were merciful. People were just coming there, and they they weren't judging us. They weren't saying, well, why'd you lose your job? How come you didn't have your job? Apparently, you weren't working hard enough. Apparently, they really didn't need you anymore. They were merciful. They said, hey, I don't understand why you're going through this hardship, but we want to sit with you. We want to love on you. We want to encourage you. We want to help equip you. We want to walk with you. Such a beautiful thing when the church is the church, but if the church goes toxic and it exists for itself, it becomes poison, as the name implies. And it loses effectiveness. And it loses its joy. And that's how church splits happen. That's how denominations are formed. That's how all of a sudden people just leave town and people uproot from their church. Because when the, when the church goes toxic, it's not only a poison for the outside world, it's poison for the inside. And that's not the way that God intended it to be. We're to be the body of Christ, moving and doing and serving and active. And just as is the, the main ideas for this, this text draw out, each and every one of you have a part to play. And none is more important than the other. Whether it's somebody who's on the stage or somebody who's, who's serving donuts, we all have a part to play. And that, to me, is an amazing truth. That God would use us to do His work on the basis of, of His foundation, not our skill set.